Hey everyone, I'm your host Michael Nova and welcome to Rise Up Radio. Neil McCormick is a British music journalist who acts as chief pop and rock music critic for the UK's Telegraph newspaper and website. In addition to being an established journalist, Neil is known as a music industry expert and interviews musicians on his own TV program, Needle Time, on Vintage TV in the UK. He's also a musician himself, but perhaps his greatest claim to fame is as both the author of the book, I Was Bono's Doppelganger, published in the U.S. as Killing Bono, and the subject of the subsequent Paramount-released film of the same name. Neil has graciously agreed to an interview with us to discuss his story. So here's our interview with Neil McCormick. So, Neil, your story is well-documented in your memoir, Killing Bono, which was later turned into a film. I love the book, but for those who haven't read it or seen the film yet, you went to school with members of U2, including Bono, and you were friends with them, but at the same time, you were trying to make it in music yourself. And when you think back to those early years, as I was reading your book, I thought you no doubt thought that you were going to become famous. And the only question in your mind was whether Bono and U2 would become famous as well. Am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when you if you I am the, the kind of person that if I start doing something, I, I my imagination works fast, and I, my commitment to it is really what can I achieve out of it? I want it to be the best. I want it to be great. I want it to be the most that it could possibly be. And you know, I was a young man. I was a teenage boy, and at that. Point, the scale of your teenage boy ambitions is, you know, sky high. It hasn't been tempered by any degree of reality. I know not everybody making music thinks about being a rock superstar, and not everybody writing a book thinks about being a best-selling author. But you know, that was, you know, ambition was uh, right. Through, went right through the core of me. And I didn't have much sense of doubt, really. I hadn't had that first uh, brutal brush with failure. I just kind of assumed if I was doing something and I had an aptitude and a talent to do it, that I would succeed at it. Um, You know, that's the the nature of the character I was. Overconfident (laughs) uh, would be one way of describing it. Bono and you too, you know, Bono had a great confidence and a great sense of ambition too. Um, He was kind of a star in the school. He was a year older than me, um, roughly, you know, seven months or something. But those kind of differences that make a lot of, you know, that feel large when you're young. And he was an inspirational figure to me um, because... He was cool and he was compassionate and he was just an interesting guy. He is very much the same, you know, although he's been hugely enlarged by fame and success and everything that's come, he's the same character. He was charismatic in school. 
And so, um, you know, I thought you two were great, but I thought that they were just doing whatever they were doing. You know, they're in a band. They, they didn't necessarily have the thing that I thought I had was this sky high ambition. You know, I didn't, didn't want to be the local band. I wanted to be the Beatles. Um, that's the dream. You know, we live in an age in which, um, weirdly, probably for the first time in history, in a way, uh, people see dreams writ very large and have the idea. We've, we've been uh, almost force-fed the idea that you can fulfill your dreams, that you can achieve whatever you want. And so, yeah, as a young man, I wanted the world and... Uh, I didn't see how anything was going to stop me having that. I, I would. I, I thought you two might have had something, but they were a rock band. You know, I wanted to make pop music, and uh, yeah, I just thought uh, I thought I was on the right track. I, I found out differently. Well, meanwhile, you started work as a journalist at seventeen, right? Working for Hot Press, ma- uh, music magazine, um, and you worked your way up to become one of the most well-known rock critics in the UK. Have you experienced adversity in your journalism career, or has it all come easy for you? You know, it's come pretty easy. The funny thing is, (laughs) the funny thing is that the journalism wasn't what I thought I was going to do. It wasn't the focus of what I was doing. Uh, I only... I always thought I'd be a writer, you know, it's what I, it's part of what I did. And the focus on it was in, uh, when I was younger was songwriting, but I thought I would write books. I thought I would write films. I would write my way into the world. You know, I, I'm a, a literary book loving, right? Word loving person. Um, but you didn't really become a rock star by writing, you know, the, the, the idea of fame and fortune that is a, just a huge part of our society it was very, it was a very strong driving force for me. Um, so I was, you know, adept at certain things. I liked writing. I, I loved art, you know, and I went to art college. I was, I left school quite young just by, I don't even know why that is. Uh, it's just the way it worked out math- mathematically. Um, I, I was 17 when I left and I just, um, sort of went straight into the world and, you know, as a guy in a rock band with a leather coat and leather jacket and a, a girlfriend and I suddenly got a job in the the local, the Irish rock magazine. It was in the art department, but I was so confident, you know, I'd say, oh, I'll, I'll review that and I took things away to review, but it was never where my focus was and in some ways, some strange ways, it's what made it easier I wasn't obsessed with it. I wasn't measuring myself by whether I was successful or that or not. I was just doing it and enjoying it. And actually doing something and enjoying something is, I think, one of the real secrets to succeeding at something. Because if you're doing something and enjoying it, and enjoying it for what it is, it doesn't matter so much whether you succeed or fail or whether you're perceived as succeeding or failing, because you are succeeding by just enjoying it. So it was something that I was doing. And then 
I was in a band and, and, you know, trying to get signed. And there was a lot of angst and drama and pain in the journey of, of trying to be in a band and trying to, trying to make it, uh, you know, there was highs and, and real lows, uh, Things went right and things went wrong. There was a huge degree of adversity. Pretty much everything that could go wrong to a band did. You know, I was always in pretty good bands and we functioned at a high level in terms of songcraft, in terms of musicianship. We seemed to be hitting it and we got audiences excited and we got record companies excited, but always at the last minute something would fail. The writing career was ticking away in the background without my even thinking about it. It was just something that I was doing to make money, to pay my rent while I was in the band. It was only really when the band absolutely crumbled, when I had to say, God, that dream is over, which was a very tough moment in my life, that I thought, well, what else can I do? I'll do this. And that they, you know... My choices were kind of limited. I was, I was getting close to 30, which is kind of a key age, I think, for a lot of um, musicians. Uh, when you're kind of crunching up to reality, 30 looms large. You're kind of thinking, am I going to make it? Have I, have I blown it now? You know, it's, it's a youth culture pursuit, or it's perceived as that within our uh, society. You're kind of thinking, I'm 30. That, is that young anymore? I've got to pay my way in the world. And meanwhile, the kind of art stuff that I'd been doing had uh, had been become computerized. I would have to retrain to do the sort of stuff I'd, I was doing, design. Whereas I could always write, you know, like, give give a pen and a paper, and uh, and I'm off. And so I I started writing and and threw myself into it. There's a couple of things. Is one is that I'm ambitious in in myself the piece of work that I am doing at any given moment, I want it to be as good as it can be. So when I really threw myself into, I'd always tried to write at a very high level. I'd always thought each piece had to be great. And so when I threw myself into journalism, I took that attitude. You know, I I wanted it to be the best it could be. I wanted to be a successful journalist, but I didn't care about it with the same degree of longing, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't where my aspiration was. So I'm still making music and ticking around and doing arty things, you know, which I would have maybe focused more dr- of the dreamer in me on, and meanwhile, uh, writing. Well, the question of adversity, or adversity in, in music, in uh, sorry, adversity in journalism is, an interesting one, you know, I did find lots of closed doors, but they opened much easier for me. And I did start to think at some stage, maybe they were opening easier for me because this is really what I was meant to be doing. That I am naturally a writer, that it's what I'm good at. And so uh, sort of instead of... Um, resisting that i was flowing with it i was going with it and and things were you know working out for me um maybe to some degree in music i'd been trying too hard that my ambitions made me make choices that weren't the most artistically sound choices that weren't the most emotionally sound choices 
You know, when you're trying to write, you know, perhaps you feel one song, but then you start layering hooks on it. It's hard to explain. You start trying to turn it into whatever is the fashion of the moment. Maybe that's what I'd been doing. You know, just saying that a lot can go wrong. And a lot did go wrong. Whereas in journalism, I just kind of did the best work I could. And uh, it all worked out pretty well. You know, there was times as a journalist when I felt frustrated. And um, uh, I do remember when I first ventured into kind of being a serious journalist in my 30s in the UK, I did realize that most of the people doing my profession had been to college uh, and usually they'd been to one or two colleges and you know the big uh, there was a lot of uh, social networking had gone on these people were were connected in ways that I wasn't connected I was outside of that connection and I used to think that that was you know there was a rigged system but then I could see that just by being good at what you were doing, if you were really good at it and you applied yourself to it, you could break through the rigged system. And and that's what I did. Um, in journalism, I was successful pretty quickly. But the, by then, the other thing is I had had, you know, I was in my 30s. I'd, I'd gone through the uh, decade of pain, mm, yeah. <laughs> taken a lot of lessons from it. Yeah. I think I think what you just shared is is very powerful which is that you know we as musicians it, it's the world to us you know it's it's our heart our soul you know it's it's us you know it's and to separate yourself from the music as 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 a human being versus the music is very hard because it's like it's us it's mm. an embodiment of us so when we are rejected it's we are they are rejecting us not the music you know so we Mm. take it so so hard uh it's very difficult you know myself as an artist i'm i'm sensitive as well and it's like you know rejection just kills me it's it's like you're rejecting my soul you know so it's we have to separate ourselves from the the music in some way and say, this is what I created, but it's not me, you know? Mm. And so, like you said, you know, you were trying too hard and maybe not making emotionally sound choices. And so, but with your writing, it's just, it just flows. It's just natural. And, you know, it's so funny because, like, this has come up with in so many of our interviews with people is that, you know, this, this notion of flow and enjoyment and is so important because that really is the secret to success it's not the the um the knocking your head against the wall it's taking the detour that's offered to you in life mm. and running with it and you never mm. know where it's going to take you so mm. uh and that's what happened with me as well with with rise up 8 i had no idea this was going to happen but just take the ball and run with it. It's you're given the ball, so mm. go. You know, mm. uh, so but it doesn't mean that. Um, and I know that you're you're still doing doing music, and you mm. haven't given it up, and that it still is somewhat of your dream. So, so if there's a way of you know letting go of the the um, the attachment of 
you know, I really want this is really important because as you did with your writing, it's like, you know, when you, you're just enjoying it and you're just flowing, the success just comes naturally. So it's just a fantastic comment that you made and, and thank you for making it because it's so on point, you know? I would say, you know what? I learned a lot. Uh, one thing is that, you know, you learn more. We learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. That, that's just that's just life. You know, it's a basic life lesson. When you're succeeding, yeah, you learning that you can be learning things, but you know, you you can get carried away with them. You you don't necessarily know why you've succeeded. Whereas when you fail at something, you can be. It's often quite easy to analyze why that has failed, and you build up from that. You be, what, so what did I learn about music? I I can. I wrote that book, Killing Bono, partly to ask a lot of these questions, to look at the question of what was the difference between me and Bono? What was the uh, – why did he succeed and I didn't succeed? Um, and I can see all the reasons why he succeeded and I didn't succeed, but, I, I, but that doesn't mean it's, it's, um, it's preordained because actually – the main things that I think about um, a music career is that we live in an age where we have professionalized music. We've made it a career in a way that it wasn't ever before. And, and we've made it a career that builds towards this idea of, of, of pop stardom. But actually, music is, um, is a human talent. It's, it's innate. It's there lurking in every human being on the planet. We all respond to music, and we can all make music. Children can always make music. Uh, there are whole societies where music is just a fundamental part of being in that uh, society. So, you know, it's not that unusual. It's within us. That means there's always more people making music and trying to succeed, then there are going to succeed. You know, success is a pyramid-shaped thing. You know, there's the, the people. There's there's all kinds of levels of things underneath on a narrowing pyramid, building up to that one thing, one person who is a success. There's always there's always going to be more failure, more people who lose along the way or who don't succeed because because that's just the numbers game. So. There are three things you need to succeed in the modern world as a popular musician. You need talent, but talent is pretty universal. You need uh, persistence, you know, to get your game together, to get your act together, and to persist at it because you will. There's a lot of other people trying to do what you're doing, and you have to keep pushing and getting better, and and trying. But the third thing you need, and it turns out to be probably the biggest thing of all, is luck. You know, and there's no accounting for luck. It happens sometimes. Something happens. A confluence of things happen, and you slip through through the crack. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, then you have to, if you want to go further, you've got to ride your, you've got to ride your luck. And that's when the talent and the persistence and everything really comes into play. But the luck knocks people out all over the place. 
So you can never take, you should never take luck, chance and mischance to heart. That stuff's not about you. That stuff is about being in the right place at the right time. And you, those things are choices outside of your control. As well as writing Killing Bonner, which was about my own misadventures in the music business, you know, at the time, I'm still friends with Bono, and he loved that book, and he asked me to write U2's book. Uh, so I um, wrote their autobiography, or, you know, uh, I guided it. Um, it's all in their own words. U2 by U2. And one of the things that's fascinating about doing that was seeing how many times their career, especially in the early years, almost fell completely flat. And to see how much luck was involved in them becoming this, you know, monumental blockbuster success. To see how many moments, especially during, let's say, the first 10 years, it could have all gone horribly wrong. And had one of those moments occurred, we wouldn't be talking about you 2 now. And yet, when, when they don't occur, it, seems, it can seem like it was a fate, it was a destiny. But actually, it was just, you know, it was just surviving uh, little moments and being lucky in that thing and following through on that with, with talent. So, um, yeah, I've learned not to take that stuff, uh, or I hope I've learned not to take that stuff too much to heart. I make music now, occasionally, and I know it's great, it's it's really, uh, I can go and play with my friends, and sometimes we have a band called Groovy Dad, because we are groovy, and we are dads. And on a given night, Groovy Dad on stage, it's full of people like me, who, uh, <laughs> uh, because the world is full of people like me, like us, who, um, who never quite made it, or didn't quite achieve the thing they want to achieve. Our drummer has played with Jeff Beck, I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer. And nowadays, he still occasionally does session drumming and makes a bit of music here and there. And he, but he's a teacher. He teaches um, a music media course, I think, is his main income. Uh, our guitarist, he, he works as a kind of session guitarist on a pretty low level. But I used to know him in the 80s, and he was you know, the, the best guitarist that I knew around the scene in the 80s. We used to, I, I loved to hear him play then, and I love to hear him play now. He's as good as it gets, but he's didn't turn into Jeff Beck. He just turned into somebody who gave lessons in a small town. And so on and so forth. Now we're all men in our 50s, and you put us on stage. There's none of the youthful questing, the ego that goes with that, the personal ambition that goes with that. There is purely the joy of being with uh, people who are like-minded, uh, making music to the best of their ability. And because of that, the pleasure of playing is the same human pleasure that has always been in music, that is the fundamental part of music. And because of that, the music that we make is fantastic. And if we do play uh, in a room, you know, in a pub, it, it just rocks the place out. And sometimes I'm standing on stage and it's, it, it is as transcendental an experience as I've ever had in music, which music can utterly lift you out of yourself. And I think in a giddy moment, if I'd had this band 
when I was 21, I would have taken over the world. But then I have the immediate knowledge that you couldn't have this band when you're 21 because it's a band where all that youthful ambition has gone mm. and been replaced purely with the the <laughs> the joy of the act itself mm. uh, by people who can do it. So, yes. Mm. So it's very funny that you talk about music in such a way because recently I've, I've had this thought that music is, you know, just a naturally beautiful thing that comes out of us. And I don't know how money became a part of that, you know, because when you think about music as just a natural kind of thing, it's just, it's like it should be, it should be free because it is free, you know, it's like yeah, love. Yeah, we all want to make a living. Yeah, yeah. It just so happened that, you know, that's just historical. It, it, it comes from the, um, the, we live in the era of recorded music when it became possible for uh, music to uh, enlarge beyond the very small scale of music, which was that it was, it was, most people had music in their lives, but it was just because there were somebody playing the piano in their kitchen or their pub. The only professional musicians going back a couple of hundred years are either, you know, traveling minstrels who've got a pretty tough life or, you know, in the orchestral era, uh, orchestral musicians uh, who have to have a developed skill at a very high level. But generally, music was just something that was in a community. But in with the 20, uh, 20th century, you suddenly have the technology that democratizes music completely uh, as, as a profession and allows people to believe they can make, m make money from it. And in, its, uh, in our folks in fame that came in the 20th century, allows the peak performers uh, to make fantastic fortunes. And it became this other professional, professionalized thing. Where I grew up in Hoth in Ireland, um, you could see folk music sessions in the local pub. And these were very fine musicians playing, you know, hundreds of year old songs with great exuberance and skill. But they weren't professional musicians. They were fishermen. Their job was to go out on a dirty trawler in the cold <laughs> and catch fish. And the, the playing of music was just a pleasurable part of their, of their life. We have lost that a bit in our society. Um, and, and, you know, it's something that you, it's an interesting place to, 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 uh, to rediscover that or recover that, that a lot of ex-musicians, if we're ex-professional musicians, somebody like me, certainly, and a lot of my friends, has that moment. You know, after a few, a certain number of, I, I consider myself a, a musician from when I left school. I considered that what I was doing was music and this was my profession. This is where I was going. At a certain point, I have to think, am I a musician now? Because it's not what I do for a living. So I would never have described myself as that. But after another 
bit of time pass. I, and I'm a professional writer. That's what I am. And that's how I make my living. I, I, I thought, well, but of course I'm a musician. Because music is for life. It doesn't depart from you. And um, you don't need to make money from it. You know. Uh, the, there is often a great deal more pleasure to be had not making money from something which, you know, we all have to make a living. <laughs> I didn't make a living in music. I certainly made a living writing about how not to make a living in music. <laughs> um, so, so you stated that it took you a long time to come to terms with the fact that your friend made it big as a performer and you didn't. And I think this is a common issue among many people where you see people that you know becoming successful and you're struggling and you have this struggle inside yourself because you feel f happy for them. But at the same time, you're wondering, well, what about me? So like for me, I always think keep your head down and focused and keep working on what you're doing. Don't be distracted by other people or what they're doing. Just keep your focus on what you're doing and keep doing it. So from your viewpoint, do you think that's right? And how were you able to come to terms with the situation? You know, I loved you two then, and I love them now. Uh, they were, you know, my Beatles in the cavern. I, I saw them play their very first gig in, in uh, our school in Dublin. And, uh, you know, on a table that was stuck together with masking tape. And uh, they played Peter Frampton's I Want You, Show Me The Way. And uh, a Beach Boys song and a Bay City Rollers song, which they're always embarrassed when I recollect it. And, uh, but they, they, they kind of had it from that moment, you know, when Bono picked up the microphone and the edge fired off a chord and... He's screaming, I want you to show me the way. It, it was like an electric bolt. They really had something. And I saw that, and I watched them come up, and they were great. They were just a – it, it was a great privilege for me to be able to see that. And I, I'm, a, and I, I'm aware of that privilege now. Also, Bono is a fascinating character. The Edge, too, you know, they were my friends in school, and – and it's amazing to see what has become of them. And I realize that a certain degree of privilege has, you know, I belatedly realized, rubbed off on me and, you know, others that were around them, you know, that you were slightly lifted up. You could say that the whole of Ireland was lifted up by you two. And certainly being in proximity to that, uh, you were carried along. Um, I think there was a lot of confidence in our generation but if, if i look at the, uh, the the class we went to in school people did pretty well and i think some of that is a kind of ripple effect of the success of you two the envy that i felt for bono was you know potentially poisonous because he was doing so much exactly the same thing as me and it was something that we talked about and something that we had mutual ambitions for and we started off on a, you know, a level playing field in a very even way. And soon, you know, he is scaling up the ladder. And, uh, and I'm at the, just at the bottom of the ladder. You know, I can't get off the first rung. And that was, you know, a little bit psychologically painful to me. 
but he, but not to him, you know, he never, <laughs> obviously not to him, but also he never um, sort of excluded me from his friendship or talked to me in any different way. Uh, and so that was something that I had to get over. And I cut myself off from you two a little bit just to focus on a writing career, just to get my act together, just to um, uh, get over wherever I'd been and, and, and find myself in a new place. And, and also because they'd become so big that it, there was like a huge machine around them and I couldn't be bothered working, working to try and penetrate that machine, you know, if I saw them, I'd saw them, but I didn't. I didn't want to sort of inveigle myself into their system, which is something that can kind of happen. So I, you know, I didn't see them. Although I had the occasional phone call with Bono, I didn't see them for a few years. And then um, when we bumped into each other again, uh, which was at a funeral of a of a friend, which is often the case, you know, we just picked up where things had left off and. Uh, and I suppose I had uh, grown up a lot. Um, and so it was just, you know, whatever was the envy, it was um, laid to rest, more or less by getting on with my own life and by achieving things in my own life without necessarily feeling, you know, that they were achievements, just getting on with my own life. There's a lot of things where people say you, you haven't suffered enough, you know, uh, about a certain type of person that is kind of, um, uh, maybe has a sort of bunny hopping energy of optimism. I had that a little bit. And I, I had to um, struggle a little bit and, and come to face with my own... Um, failings as a as a person and you know just focus in a little bit on uh, growing up as a as a person in my own life and and doing things and focusing on the people around me and whatever it was life had just gone on and I no longer you know I had to decide not to measure myself about whether I was a pop star or 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 whether I was you know Whatever I was, I could. I, I. I turned out that I was a pretty successful journalist, but that that's never. Um, that's never had a pop star kudos for me because it's not what I wanted to be. But it. It's. I also had a long, you know, term relationship that was very important to me, and uh, you know, children. There were my stepchildren that I was looking after. Who's whose lives I was participating in, and then ultimately, you know, my own son. And when you have a child, especially that, is the most uh, growing up moment that you can possibly do. And you can't really think or worry about what you achieved or didn't achieve because that you've achieved this, everything has led to this uh, life that wouldn't exist under any other set of circumstances and who seems, you know, an incredible and unique uh, person in themselves that, that has to exist. So you just say, well, this is where my life took me and it's not a bad life. 
in fact, it's just it is just my life. I mean, I'm, I'm the struggle to get to that place of a contentment with um, success or a lack of success was a long one. You know, it was a lifelong one. I, my thirties, I went through a lot of things. I read an awful lot. I looked at all kinds of religious and spiritual and philosophical guides. Um, you know, I delved deep into a, into a lot of uh, philosophical and emotional situations. But, you know, ultimately it was just life that made everything um, acceptable. Because if you want to be in the life that you have with the people that you're in it with, then that's your life, you know, that that's that's what it is. And this is my life. I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't be Bono. Um, I, I, I never wanted to be Bono even, but I couldn't be him, you know. I could only be myself. And and I, there's, there's qu- the question of whether I, you know, I had a band, that could have been something, and it wasn't. But, you know, I got over that pretty, <laughs> a long, long time ago. And, you know, then you have, a, you, there are all kinds of other questions you, you can always ask. Whether something would have been better. That's kind of, you know, dwelling over, if you look back at the past, would you say, oh, would it have been better if I'd have been famous, or if we'd better if if this had happened or that had happened, which is all such a a load of rubbish that you can never answer. Maybe if I had been... There's a lot of miserable pop stars around the place. (laughs) I should know because I've interviewed plenty of them. There's a lot of people who are trapped in an idea of themselves that they formed when they were, you know, 17. There's a lot of people that... Uh, were destroyed and crushed by fame. There's probably as many people who have been crushed by succeeding at whatever their dream was as have been crushed by failing to succeed at whatever their dream was. You know, the answers to all of those things ultimately uh, lie inside of you. Are you, you know, your level of happiness with your with your life and your set of circumstances, um, yeah, it's, it's something that's ultimately got to come from inside of you. And, you know, I, I kind of worked that out in my 30s. And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, I can look back at my music career and think of it as something that was a fun failure. That's what, I suppose, having that thought is what enabled me to write a funny book about it. Because, um, you know, there's fun in... The, the, Humor. Uh, there's a lot of uh, humor in pain and uh, in um, in things that don't don't succeed. You know, it's it's much funnier to watch somebody fall flat on their face than just uh, amble down the street. But I could see the humor in it because I had, you know, emotionally moved moved past it, and it's, I just accept it for what it is. Yeah. So working. Uh, so. 
working on the book was your cathartic way of coming to terms with with it, right? Well, working on the book was uh, it did answer some questions because it forced me to think about it. But no, it wasn't my cathartic way. My cathartic way was to live through it. You know, by the time I was able to sit, I was sat down and wrote the book. Um, I had really resolved and answered those questions in myself. You know, it was called Killing Bono because I had this whole conversation with Bono once where he was telling me that he'd been writing a song with Frank Sinatra. I loved Frank Sinatra. And I just, you know, I'd often have these conversations with him where he was telling me something that I would have dreamed about doing when I was uh, younger. And I said something to him like, uh, you know, I don't want to hear about that. I just said, you know, I don't want to hear about writing a song with Frank Sinatra. I, 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 the problem with knowing you is that you've lived my life. He said, uh, that's because uh, I'm your doppelganger, and if you want your life back, you'll have to kill me. <laughs> and it was just a jokey remark. But, you know, when he said it, it was a funny thing. I wrote it down because I thought to myself, you know, there's an idea for a book in that. And... And I and but that but it was and it was nearly you know probably nearly ten years later before I actually wrote that book uh, when I had turned around all those ideas and uh, I thought you, there was I had something valuable to say about about losing the losing isn't a terrible thing you know it it's just failing to achieve something you know it's just just it's not a bad thing at all you learn from that and you still had the experience of doing it whatever it is you it's just a step along the way in 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 life we we act as if losing is a disaster it's not it's just you know somebody has to lose if two football teams play a game one of them has to lose it doesn't actually reflect on the uh inner the quality of the person doing the the losing you know um it's the learning and you learn from losing so i learned maybe what do i learn i probably learned to be a lot more humble a lot more modest a lot more um reasonable with myself and my expectations of the world but i also just experienced things and i was able to bring them those things into my Right. The the one danger of winning all the time, one danger, a danger of winning all the time, is uh, being overwhelmed by a surfeit of ego and arrogance because um, there's kind of no down, downside to it except uh, psychologically. Um, you're not going to get egotistic and arrogant um, <laughs> when you're uh, when you're on the ground. Mm-hmm. So yeah. no. So when you were, it was so inspiring to me to hear about how during when you had the band and you were struggling and whatever whatever roadblocks you came up against, you kept going. You know, you that, never gave up. You kept being persistent and you kept believing that you would make it for so many years. How did you tell yourself to keep going in the face of all those setbacks? Was it just this drive? This, this? Well, 
we think she's there. You say that, and I, I recognize that. But of course, I kept going until I didn't keep going, because uh, eventually I stopped. I do see, you know, when you see a setback, it's kind of an interesting moment when you you've got your ambition set on something and you do everything to achieve that and something goes wrong. You know, we were being signed by a regular label and suddenly dropped, whatever it is. Um, I immediately, you know, my reaction to that is, you know, well, pick yourself up, what's the, you know, look at it again and find another way forward. And I, you know, it's, it, that, that, it, the, the challenge and the struggle, uh, the strategizing and the game of it all was um, was fun and fascinating to me. But I had a very, very strong belief that, that um, a, a, a strong and utterly deluded belief that I, in the, I was going to win in the end, you know, until then, until I didn't have that anymore. I, and actually losing that was ultimately quite valuable because may because you can be overconfident and you can just go on persisting in something you know realistically if i was to look you know writing that that book and you know looking at my uh life now from an adult perspective i should have given up that particular i should have given up sooner um trying to 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 make it because it was over it wasn't working um all of these things in the end they probably go back to our family background you know and i i was confident i was competitive and i was pretty psychologically secure in myself i had a loving environment uh, that I grew up in and family, but quite a competitive one. And those were the things that made me, in in that way, um, you know, very driven and persistent. Uh, and being driven and persistent is good, but, you know, it took me a little bit long to recognize that uh, <laughs> the life was telling me to go in a different direction. And it was only when I got pushed in the different direction and went in the different direction, that uh, which was a direction of flow, which is what we started talking about early on. You know, I recognize when I'm writing, getting into a state of flow, of going with the idea of getting everything rolling in the same direction. And it's only really when I was bumped off the direction that I wanted to go in and and found myself going in the direction that my talents naturally took me and applying myself to that, that everything uh, everything flowed. So, yeah, I know your, um, your website is about picking yourself up and, um, and there's a lot to be said for it. There's a huge amount to be said for persistence, uh, and trying and trying and trying again. Sometimes you also have to recognize when something stopped working. And it maybe took me a little bit long to recognize that. But, you know, these are all maybes. I, I got a very – I got a book out of it. And so yeah. – <laughs> um, 
which um, which I was I wouldn't have got that if I'd have given up uh, at the first yeah, hurdle. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it occurred to me a few minutes ago that you know the, the book is a huge smash. It was made into a movie, uh, a great movie as well, and the book was great as well. So it's an incredible achievement right there. You know, uh, I mean. To have a, a, a best-selling book and a, a film made about you? Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's no, it's great, kind of man. Nutty, isn't it? it is kind of nutty. Um, what's kind of nutty about it is this. I want to be a rock star, and that was the focus of my teenage ambition that drove me through my 20s. And if I had done that, I would have felt that I was achieving what I should have been achieving, or that's how it feels to me. What I achieved instead was to become a successful um, music journalist. I mean, very you know, in this country, the UK, you know, I've had, uh, I've been the main music journalist for the Daily Telegraph, one of the main newspapers, for twenty years, um, which is pretty much longer than anybody else around me doing the same thing. Um, I've got my own TV show uh, interviewing musicians. I meet people who are, you know, fascinating to me, and I have, I'm able to have intimate conversations with them about things that fascinate me. It's a really good, fun job. I wrote a book that I enjoyed writing about my life, and it got made into a film, so there are actors portraying me on screen. And none of that <laughs> feels like success. That just feels like life. And um, uh, I know that other people say, oh, that's, that's great. And uh, I can see that it's, you know, that if I was a teenager and I was looking at myself now, I'd be thinking, yeah, God, you know, that, that you've done pretty good. That's pretty amazing. But, but it's not what I was trying to do. And so it doesn't feel like success. It just feels like what happened. But I'm okay with that. Because I think, you know, I'm not sure what your life would be like if you wandered about the place thinking, hey, I'm great, I'm a success. And you know what, I, I'm not sure that, that people who are genuinely successful in a worthwhile way, okay, let's say Bono, is, who's doing great work that matters, is wandering about thinking, I'm great, I've succeeded. Because, you know, you wouldn't be pushed to doing, you know, to achieving new things if you felt like that. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to touch upon your solo project that goes to walks. Um, mm. And you got a record deal with Vital Records. And two well, you know, that was another disaster. <laughs> Really, it came about because because I made a great album, or I made an album that I felt was great. I was past the point of thinking I was going to be a rock star. So I was just making music for the pleasure of making it. Uh, I played it to some people. I didn't even tell them who it was. And, and a guy from BMG wanted to sign it. And I had to tell him it was me. Um, and uh, he still wanted to sign it. And we went through all this thing. I was saying, well, I'm not going out and touring, you know. I'm not getting in a bus and driving up the motorway. I'm in my 40s, and 
I got a kid and I just couldn't. Anyway, we agreed, whatever deal we agreed, and I went to his office to sign it and he got sacked that day. Oh. <laughs> and that was like the whole story of my <laughs> my life as a as a wannabe rock star over and over again. But you know, the thing was paid for, the stuff was done, and so. Uh, other people rallied around and we got it out on an independent label but it didn't have any promotion or anything I'll tell you it did have this one wonderful thing is that I that, that some people uh, heard that album and it meant a lot to them uh, I think we did 3,000 copies overall which is you know a, a tiny drop in the pop ocean but still means that there's you know a few thousand people that heard the album that's, that invested their money and their time in it. And there was this one song called uh, Harm's Way that uh, ended up on an album, a compilation album that Mel Gibson put out. So his office called me uh, out of the blue and uh, said, you know, Mel loves the ghost of walks. So who knew that? So of all the... Um, records I did manage to put out there in the world somehow Mel Gibson discovered one of them and decided he was going to use it on the soundtrack of a movie and that movie was The Passion of the Christ which was the biggest film of the year that it was released uh, in the end he didn't use a contemporary soundtrack he used an Aramaic music soundtrack but he put out two albums the soundtrack album, this other album that was called Mel Gibson Presents Songs Inspired by the Passion of the Christ. And on that album, there was Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Elvis Presley, Nick Cave, and me. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I thought to myself, that is the company I always believe I should be <laughs> So it was kind of proof to myself that I hadn't been utterly deluded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, I was working at that level when the music business was telling me that I wasn't. Hmm. Uh, and that, you know, my failure in the pop world was, you know, one story that wasn't the whole story. And I can take that. I do, if, if I do feel that is something that I do feel... Um, particularly uh, pleased with, you know, because, you know, to share um, uh, space on a record with Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen, who are probably my two favorite songwriters, uh, that does feel like um, an accomplishment. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, and you, you did sell 3,000 copies, which it sounds like it's nothing, but in today's marketplace, where, <laughs> where people are struggling to sell... You know, a thousand, three thousand is not so bad. Uh, yeah, today's marketplace, I'd be number one. <laughs> one. One of the issues facing many musicians now, with so many competition on the internet, is how do you get listened to, and how do you get noticed amongst all the noise that's out there? You know, as as a journalist and as a musician, any advice for young musicians out there trying to to be heard amongst you know the morass of all this competition. Yes, it's 
it's incredibly super difficult. You have to say there's two sides to that. One is that at least you can get, it's in your own hands. You know, in my struggles when I, when I was in a band, the big problem was getting signed by a major record company because you needed that kind of investment to get your record, get into a studio, which was so expensive to make a record and get it out. You needed a major record company really to make that work for you. And I, I think that if that, if the situation that existed now, the internet had existed, then we would have gone a different path altogether. We would have just made our music and put it out. And, uh, so there's definite advantages as well as disadvantages. The disadvantages, there is too much music being made or there is so much music being made. Let's not say too much, but, you have to make the my only advice is you make the best music that you can in the with the most passion that you have and do it with the most pleasure that you can and try and do something that pushes the form a little bit that goes a little further that goes a little deeper because you're up against so many other people who are doing the best that they can. But unfortunately, there's no shortcut to getting noticed. If you do the best music you can, make the best video promo that you can, play the best concerts that you can, some of you will be noticed uh, and will succeed. And there's, you know, no mysterious algorithm that you can give that 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 tells you who that's going to be and who that isn't going to be. But the thing is, if you are doing the best you can and enjoying it while you're doing it, and you don't succeed, you'll look back on it and you'll say, "Well, that was fun." But if you're doing the best you can, if you're do, doing it all to try and succeed, and you're working hard, and it's all about trying to succeed then you'll look back on it and it'll feel like a failure. Mm. So do it for the right reasons. Mm. And then if success comes, it'll be great. And if success doesn't come, you'll still feel good about it. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I love that. Uh, so now, as you look back on your journey up till now, what have you learned about overcoming adversity in life, as in, as in our phrase, fall down seven times, rise up eight? How does that apply to you, and what, do you, what can you share with us as far as what you've learned about that? You know, you've always got to get back up. That's just, that's just the way it is. You've always got to get back up, and it applies to every little part of every day, you know, Life is full of small tribulations, and the day you just lie down and don't get up is the day it's it it's over. You know, like I I I'm just somebody who gets back up again and gets back into the fray. That's in my nature. You know, sometimes I know it can be harder for some people, but you know, don't take adversity personally that's really i suppose that's i think if you take it personally it can gnaw away at you 
that's when you were talking about music feeling personal. Yeah, rejection, because it's so personal to you, can feel personal. It can feel like a slap in the face and a punch in the gut, but it's not personal. And the world's a big place. Some things succeed and some things fail. But, you know, as long as you get pleasure out of what you're doing, you should always be able to get back up and do it again. Mm. Great. But, you know, that's it. You just got to get up. Yeah. Every morning we got to get up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and you're still performing with Groovy Dad, right? Well, you know, from time to time I'll perform if somebody uh, if somebody makes it easy for me to do so. But you know, I'm so busy as a writer, absurdly busy. Hmm. The internet age is voracious. I'm going to make a living, and I've got a boy at school, and you know, <laughs> life is demanding. Hmm. Don't get enough time to make music, except uh, except around the house, with the captive audience of my own family, who um, will agree that I'm a genius if I tell them often enough. That's the greatest part of all, isn't it? <laughs> That's beautiful, man. Thank you so much for your time, Neil. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That was our interview with music journalist Neil McCormick. If you know someone who has an inspiring story that we should interview, please email us at info at riseup8.org. I'm Michael Nova, and thanks for joining us on Rise Up Radio.